Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. Are you busy? No, I'm not. I mean, at the moment, I am not busy. I'm going to get busy again, but I'm trying to recuperate a little bit. I was fixing to say, you are a busy lady. You handle a lot. I used to handle a lot. Now, I don't handle nearly half as what I used to handle, but it feels like it's just as much because it just does not, I don't handle things the same anymore. Well, yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk to you about. I just wanted to talk to you about, I know you had a bad, you had a bad wreck. You had a bad horse wreck, Mm -hmm. and it really changed a lot of things for you. And I think, one, it's super cool how you've overcome it and dealt with it. I mean, like, it's amazing what you've done with it and still be able to handle the things that you have handled. You know, what exactly, what exactly happened? Well, first I'm going to tell you that it appears like I have handled it. And I guess there's, you know, I guess in the in the big picture I have. However, I definitely don't feel like I have a handle on anything. Um, we don't exactly know um, what happened. We have narrowed things down. Like, um, I can give you like just a little spiel or whatever. Um, I was in Waco at an event at a security, um, and my intern was with me, and I had been under a lot of stress for a really long time, um, so much so that, like, I would text my doctor daily, mm-hmm. and I I could not control my anxiety anymore, and the medication that I used to take years and years and years ago for my anxiety, which was very strong wouldn't touch it, and I would, it was bad, and I would, I kid you not, when I would, when I was awake, I would coach myself through breathing so that I wouldn't have an anxiety attack, and if I could distract myself and keep myself distracted, I was okay, but as soon as things slowed down and got quiet again, it would come back up, and it was like, a, I mean, I can say my my mind game or my mental game is terrible, but when it came to controlling my anxiety attacks, I could do it because they were so terrifying, and I had ha- I have like a, a history um, in my mid twenties where they would they were it was, it was debilitating, but. Anyway, well, they, they really can be. I mean, like if nobody has actually experienced an anxiety attack, because I understand where you're coming from, you know, I think over time you go through trauma and certain things and your body gets to like, just like you said with breathing. I mean, I catch myself sometimes having to just stop and breathe myself through certain things because um, they exist, you know, especially with horses. Oh, absolutely. So, it's a high-stress environment 24-7. And I, um, you know, in my, in my early 20s and in my early and mid 20s, and then, um, also whenever Pedro and I, my ex-husband and I had gone through, um, about a nine month separation, then, like, they had come back. And I guess Jaden was, uh, one and a half and, um, one and a half too. And I, I moved out for about nine months and we were dealing with infidelity and things of that sort. And, 
um, I had, I, it, I don't think, you know, a lot of people overuse the word like, oh, I have anxiety or, oh, I'm going to have an anxiety attack. And I, I highly doubt that those people have ever actually had an anxiety attack to the degree. No, like, I agree like, with you. You're going to wreck your vehicle. You're like, I've had, I've been driving through Dallas before and I've, I've thank God got safely pulled over to a shoulder in the fast lane because like, I'm going to kill myself because I can't control my vehicle anymore because I literally can't breathe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my anxiety had escalated and it had been terrible. I couldn't sleep at night. When I would finally doze off, it would only be for a few hours, and then my first breath was just, like, crippling. So the fear of having an anxiety attack almost helped me control that from happening again. And the whole point of that is just to say, like, the amount of stress I was under was horrible. Like, marriage was horrible. Um, I, I'm very much so a perfectionist. I hate making, messing things up. I want everything done right because I don't want anything to be my fault. And living that way is detrimental. And so that um, the Tuesday night before my accident, I had um, me and my my girls that had been helping me. We took the eight horse and the six horse to a jackpot. We got all the colts worked, and then I left them there in my car to drive to get the horses back to the ranch. And I drove straight to our counselor's office. And I met my husband and our counselor there, and it was a be-all, end-all deal. Like, we cannot live this way anymore. It's not healthy for us. It's not healthy for the kids. Um, right. It's a terrible example for me to set for my daughter in that, one, I was, I was weak. I cried all the time. And, and what, what she thought was normal for her is by far not normal, and I just didn't want her. I don't want her to walk the walk I walked. Well, you got to at least give yourself credit for trying. I mean, like, I think that... I'm not not a quitter. And my my counselor... Yeah, it takes a lot to to just try. Exactly. And he's like, you have no quit in you. And I said, I refuse to fail. Like, I am not a failure. And he's like, you have to leave. And this is... This was, you know, this was after this whole ordeal. So I'll get there. But... We had gone to the counselor, and it was a be-all, end-all deal, and we agreed, okay, we're going to give it one more try. And um, I left for the fraternity on Wednesday that next morning, and I had already sent him a list. I said, this is where I will be all summer long from this date forward, and I was honestly just going to hit the road with my kids and my help and go to fraternities and rodeo because I had to get I, – I needed to breathe. Um, as far as like conversations with my doctor, I've never done a drug in my life ever, never, not even smoked a cigarette. And I was desperate and I said, um, like, has anybody done weed gummies? Because do they work? Because I'm desperate. And she kind of laughed and she's like, I do have people that, you know, do weed gummies. Um, and I said, well, that's where I'm at. Because one day I called her and I said, Oh, my gosh, I slept through the night. And she's like, what did you take? And I said, well, I doubled up on my anxiety medicine. And she said, Janae, you're going to send yourself into serotonin uptake crisis. It will kill you. You can't do that again. And that was what brought on the whole weed gummy um, conversation because I told her, I said, I cannot live this way. And I was desperate. So 
Um, well, I don't blame. Well, I don't blame you because, to be honest with you, some of these medications, I'm scared to put medications in my body like that because they're man-made. You don't know where they where they come from. But you know, <clears throat> at some point, you're like, okay, is my body just immune to this at this point? Like, I feel like some of them don't even help people, and people really need the help. And so, why right completely take out the whole idea of you know weed or any of that? Like, you don't hear of bad things happening to people that smoke weed. You just don't. <laughs> right. So why not, not legalize it so it can help you people? Know, no. I guess because it's, it's more natural unless you get some bad weed. But, I mean. Right. You know, I, you don't. Like, you're right. Because it got to a point where, you know, when a doctor prescribes you something, you feel like it should be safe. Okay, right. well, here I am. I'm going to overdose on it and take an unhealthy amount. Because it's not working, so just increase the dose, right? That's what we do. Yeah. And I had no idea it could do that to me, but it was like, I have to sleep. So on Wednesday at the event, like, we'd gone about our day, an exhibition cult, or we didn't, we got all our cults checked in. Um, we went to eat dinner at P.F. Chang's. I remember this. when I remember eating dinner at P.F. Chang's. And then uh, my girl Heidi, she needed a pair of jeans, so we went to a Western store. And I had bought some shirts that were on sale, and she had bought some jeans. And I remember leaving the Western store because I, I took a picture, and I remember the conversation we were having. And after that, I don't remember anything. And um, we had gone back to the barn and fed the horses, watered the horses. I took care of my dogs that I had with me. Um, I took a shower and went to bed. Um, and I know this because, well, because I was clean the next day for the most part. <laughs> but I had to be up at 7 in the morning, 6, 7 in the morning. My exhibitions were at 7 that morning, I believe. And so I had taken care of things. Like, it's almost like I went through all the motions, but I don't recall any of it after leaving the Western store. That next That's morning. So weird. It is weird. And I set my phone um, across the living quarters trailer so that I wouldn't snooze it. So when my alarm went off that next morning, I I do remember asking Heidi, I said, do I have to take my exhibitions? And she said, yes, you have to take your exhibitions. And I said, I'm going to take the dogs out. So I had these two Frenchie puppies, and they'd never had on a collar, and they'd never had a leash. And I put their collars on, and I put their leashes on, and I took them outside. I don't remember putting their collars or leashes on. I don't remember taking them outside. The only thing I remember from waking up that morning was asking Heidi if I had to take my exhibition. And I said, I'm going to take the dogs out. That's all I remember. So I, I took the dogs out, never had a collar or leash on, took them out to go to the restroom, and then you know something's definitely wrong when you go. I went and I got the, one of the horses I needed at exhibition that morning. I caught her. She's very snorty. Not dangerous by any means, but very snorty yeah. and cautious. And I caught her and I went to lead her back to the trailer. But I also had two puppies with me that had never been on leashes before. So... I obviously know this because of the way they found me, but I, I knew then whenever I kind of came to, like, something was wrong because I would have never done that, ever. 
done that. And um, Heidi obviously didn't know that that was happening because she was just going to haul everything over to the stall and, and help me get ready over there. And yeah. I hadn't come back. So she had gone to get my tack and started walking across the parking lot. And she saw me laying on the ground, had one dog wrapped around my leg. One dog, one dog was like licking my face and my horse was standing over me. And um, I wasn't conscious at all. I was bleeding. My head was bleeding and I was barely breathing. And she, she freaked out. And the people that were parked next to us, they had early exhibitions too. Um, they came and they helped. Um, they're seriously angels. Like to this day, they're some of my most favorite people. But anyway, well, the yeah, ambulance, thank God they were there. Thank God they were there. And, and her, the, the woman's husband said, you know, I've only given CPR once and you were there. Like you were a miracle because they, they didn't think I was going to make it. Um, I would have freaked out. out. I mean, the, Heidi was freaking out. Heidi was freaking out. She was covered in my blood. I mean, she, oh, uh, she went to the, she rode in the, she rode in the ambulance with me. She knew nothing about me. Like, I mean, she's worked for me for a while by then, but like, she didn't have my insurance. She didn't, she knew nothing. Well, since she was trying to call my ex-husband, he wasn't answering the phone because we weren't, we weren't speaking. Right. Um, so anyway, I got to the hospital. Well, it kind of sucks. I mean, like on a side note, even though yeah. your, your marriage didn't work out, the whole, you know, making sure that somebody's livelihood is okay, you know, the, the mother of his child. But at this point, at this point, president. we had decided, we had decided we were going to give it one more try. Yeah. But we uh, weren't on, we weren't on the best speaking terms, so he wasn't taking the phone call. And, um... She did finally get a hold of him, but it was so sweet because the doctors took her back to the back to the break room and, like, fed her. <laughs> I think she was traumatized. The the ambulance, the people in the ambulance, they came back to check on me to see if I made it. Um, I, I don't remember anything at the hospital. I do remember kind of coming to, and Pedro was beside me, and I remember that that kind of took me by surprise in a, like, oh, wow, you know, like, he showed up kind of yeah. way. Um, she, you know, they stapled me up, and I don't really remember anything there. Um, I remember Well, they the, say that your body, if your body, you know, you had all of this stress for years before that, you know, they say mm -hmm. when your body is in a state of high stress for, um, you know, extended periods of time, like your cortisone levels or whatever certain levels get so high, it actually will do damage to your brain when you're in that fight or flight mode for too long. Mm -hmm. And it'll, it'll mess up your memory. It'll mess up things like that. So do you think that that might have had any, that might have had something to do with it too? It could have very well had something to do with it. They did not do any, like, seizure tests. I don't. I always get them confused if it's an EEG or an EKG. One's for your heart, one's for your, for your brain. Um, yeah. But the one, for your, the one for your brain they did not do while I was in the hospital, which was so dumb because it would have been, it would have answered a lot of questions. I've right. never had a seizure before. So it, it would, I didn't, I've never had a history of anything like that. But um, they also say that stress can induce seizure activity. 
But what they I did was that. they put me on seizure medication immediately. And I think that they were thinking it was a seizure. Um, so they put me on seizure medication or, um, immediately. And then by the time I had gotten out of the hospital, well, to schedule one of those tests took months. So I didn't actually have that run until like three months after my accident. Well, I had been on seizure medication. So whenever I had that test done, no seizure activity showed up, as it, it shouldn't have because I was being medicated for it. Right. So we don't know, okay, was it a, like, stress-induced seizure? Because I've never had any health issues like this. Like, n my memory, yes. Like, I have narcolepsy. Um, I got that when I was, like, 15 years old from a severe blow to my head. So I have struggled with my memory since I was 15 um, and falling asleep and things like that. But nothing that, like, just, this just didn't make sense. It was it was crazy. Um, so then obviously. But obviously something, I mean, like, it's not crazy enough because obviously something's happening. It's not like every day you just find somebody laying in a field, you know, with their, their head gashed open. Like, you know, something is going on, you know. Yes. And it would, it just, God, would have answered so many questions if the hospital would have done that. But there wasn't anybody there necessarily to advocate for me either. Like, right. Heidi was beside herself she had no clue what to do she was she was she was like what do I do like do I do I stay at the event do I take the horses home do I like once once Pedro got there and then she was responsible for caring for all the animals and we had paid all this money to enter and she was like do I run them do I like she she wasn't even thinking straight um, she was, she thought I was just gonna die with my, with her, she was holding her head in my hands and she just thought I, she was trying to, well we got, yeah, well we time. gotta give her props for doing like the oh, best that she could at that time, cause I, I can't was, one bit. I would have been the same way, I would have been like, oh god. Like, she was, she was a best friend, like, we were so close and she saw what I went through every day. She watched me cry every day. She, she saw the dynamics of, the whole, you know, the whole family, and I had great friends in that they wouldn't ever say what they thought I needed to do or what I didn't need to do, but they yeah. were just going to love me through it and pray me through it, but she knew what I had been under just by not even necessarily because I would talk about it, but because either um, she would witness she it there. or she could just see me in general, yeah. you know. But I had, I had ended up, um, I know my arm, I got my arm stepped on, my arm was fine, got the inside of my leg stepped on, um, my foot was stepped on, I had, you know, I had these bruises all over me, um, I got kicked on the right side of my head, and I had two or three brain bleeds on the left side of my head, Ooh, um, definitely should have had brain surgery, but I tell you, like, God has had his hand in all of this, because all the brain bleeds, they got all the brain bleeds to stop. I walked away without having any surgery. I didn't walk away, actually, because I couldn't walk. But um, everything had everything had stopped. Um, the doctor at the hospital, my mom, my mom came up. So her and Pedro kind of tag-teamed while we were there at the hospital. Um, I remember the doctor telling me, you know, you'll have... 
um, amnesia before you're, I think he said 50, you'll, you know, I, where I wouldn't be able to remember anything, I'll never write again, I'll never, you know, I'll, but this is my new way of life and I'll adjust, basically, is what he was telling me, where I couldn't walk, I wasn't going to eat, I couldn't bathe myself, I could, like, I was, my mind was there. Yeah. But I definitely was not self-sufficient. And I was, whenever he was telling me these things, and it's kind of like, tell me I can't and I will kind of deal. And whenever Well, and a cowgirl on top of that. I mean, we're yeah. probably, we're it's very hard It's the only thing that I've ever loved. <laughs> like, horses have been my therapy, my counselor, my lifeline, you know, my whole yeah. life. And he's telling me these things, and I looked at him, and I was so angry. And I was like, you don't know what God I serve. But I did not say it like that. I said it like, he's like, don't F with me, basically. And my mom was like, Janae, it's okay. And I'm like, it is, this is absolutely not okay. That, I can't imagine being told that. I mean, like, you know, it's one thing to sit there and go, okay, well, I'm going to prove you wrong, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We know that you are. But to have somebody tell you those types of things, that's a lot to try to soak in because it's especially a lot of, for a horse it's girl. It's a lot. But do you know how many people are told things like that and they just take ownership over it? Yes. Yeah, that's it? what I'm getting at. Yes. And then you have, like, a doctor should never speak death. And you know what I mean? Like, you speak life. Like, you know, or or you speak the unknown, but you don't speak death over someone. Like, you don't, you just don't put that negative in them. Like, they're still alive, unfortunately. You know, and, and, and I say that because I didn't want to be. I remember laying in the hospital and just asking God to, like, please let me come home. I can't say that I blame you. I mean, that's a lot to deal with. And I'm not, I don't mean that in a weird way, but I mean it in a, like, I completely understand what you're saying when you make that statement. Because, you know, I mean, that's a lot to deal with. And I could, I could imagine sitting there going, you know what, I'm done. That's it. Just, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. Because you've done been presented this massive situation that's out of the blue and now you've not only got to overcome it but you've pretty much got to overcome it with all of these other you know obstacles and restrictions in front of you you've got people telling you you'll never do this nobody knows what's going on and blah 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 so to be able to mentally get through that and be where you are today I mean like I'm looking at a picture of you on a horse now and get where you're at today like that's awesome like you should really be proud of yourself because some people don't even get that far you know like I could hear, you know, in the hospital, I could hear people around me and and things going on and um, not knowing what had happened. The doctors couldn't give me any medication or any painkillers or anything like that. And so, you know, they stapled me up without any pain medication, which I couldn't feel anything. And But I guess I could because I, Heidi said, you know, you're the strongest person I know because she sat there while they stapled me up and... All I said was, ow, you know, but like things, some things were working, but some things weren't working. But, right, the, you know, before, and I didn't know what was going on or what had happened, 
And before the doctor had released me and told me all of these, all of the negative, yeah. I, at that point in my life, like prior to this accident occurring, is when you feel so broken and so beat down where you stay at the barn. You stay at the barn to stay busy, to basically stay alive. You're not serving as a good mom. Like, you're not. You're failing in so many areas because, or you at least feel like you're failing in so many areas because you're, I literally felt like I was just trying to, like, hold on to life at that point because everything had spiraled so out of control. The only thing well, I did have control over of was what was going on in the barn, you know? Yeah. Because yeah. the kids no, I completely see. understand. Life's hard for everybody. Oh, it was, you know, I mean, it, you could sit here on social media, you can scroll through and see people's only, you know, some people don't even have the guts enough to talk about what you're talking about in the way that you are. I mean, you know, there's times in my life it, it would take all I have just to talk about it. So, you know, it's hard to get caught up in, especially in the horse community, which I think has become harsher over the years. We were nowhere near as mean as we are now as we as we used to be. Maybe I was naive back then. But, you know, being in the horse community and having that stress on top of a normal life, that's a lot to ask any normal person, any good normal person to deal with. And then to have the accident that you have, if anybody went through this, it's like, you know, don't don't judge anything till you've been through it because that was a lot for you to handle and you're still here, still killing it. Right. Well, I, mean, I think I, guess, I know <laughs> I know it looks I, it looks like that it, it does, but it it's things are just so different. But anyway, um, I definitely was I've I've said for a long time years and years and years prior to my accident, like, when God calls me home, I am ready to go. You know, I am not scared to die. I cannot wait, like, for him to welcome me home. But anyway, apparently God did not think it was time for me to go. And he said, no, you're staying. <laughs> I was so mad. I remember being so mad. I mean, um, it, it was just this, like, why why not? Like, what What good am I here? Well, you know, why not? Um, but anyway, I I kind of accepted everything whenever I got home. And I thought, you know what? Maybe this was, maybe this is what was needed in order to restore my marriage. Um, and I was thankful for that because I never wanted a divorce. Right. Um, and I thought, okay, maybe this is what was needed to restore my marriage. Because what it did was it literally stripped me of everything. And, I mean, my phone would ring all day long and my text messages all day long. And it was like just serving, 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 serving. What can I do to help this person? Or this person needed this. And, you know, I was always just like a yes, ma'am, yes, sir type person. Like, I'll get it taken care of. I'll fix it. I'll provide. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I had things that people needed and, you know, the, with the arena and the facility and the events and, 
it was almost like what what I could do for others type deal. So when all this stuff got stripped of me, I couldn't I couldn't walk. I had a walker. Um, I couldn't drive. I couldn't do all of these things. Well, I am no longer an asset to anyone. So well, wait, I was actually to get from that to be able to drive and walk. You can do all that now. Um, yeah, I I don't I think it was four months. Wow. I don't think I don't think they let me drive for four months. Um, it was either three, but I'm pretty sure it was four. I don't remember exactly. It's probably in my phone, written down somewhere in text messages. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. I don't remember. That's I would have quick, though. Um, well, whenever I first like got in the vehicle, I couldn't look outside, because because I couldn't keep up with um, motion. And any time I walked, like just to take a step, this is really weird, but it was like my whole entire head moved. Like my, it was like my brain was jello maybe and everything moved. Like, so it was easier for me to travel, whether I be walking or driving with my eyes closed. And then I was really I can understand. Like, I think I can understand what you're saying. It was, I think I can. It see was what like you're saying. feeling like you're on a roller coaster, but you're just walking. Right. Um. Very, very nauseating feeling. Um. But so I had, you know, I I might have four appointments in one day, and I would have to find rides. I can say that my husband. While I thought that, you know, this was God restoring our marriage because I couldn't go to the barn anymore. I couldn't. It was it, it was me fully, quote, unquote, present at home all day. Um, it, it removed a lot of distractions from my life. And my focus was basically learning to operate again in this newness. And loving my kids, basically. Well, it probably and, took a lot of, um, I know you said earlier about being a perfectionist and not ever wanting to make a mistake. I, I'm a lot that way, too. And it's not necessarily that I try to be perfectionist. I know it doesn't exist. But I hate making mistakes, too. And what comes with that is learning to try to trust other people. And it's not necessarily them, but it's like, being able to delegate and mm-hmm. you now being in this situation, you probably had to learn how to delegate and trust people to do things for you. And then it probably come out good for you. You know, I would think. Some of it has. Or let other people I, help you. And delegating. Yes. Delegating things and, and, and trusting that needs would be met that were not in your control anymore. Right. Right. It's well, hard. That's hard it, to do. <laughs> it works just about everywhere in my life except the barn. Yeah. Because my horses completely fell apart at that point. And, it, like, I never, I have never dealt with ulcers before, but I dang sure have now. And even the osteopath would come in and she'd be like, what is wrong with your animals? And I, she's like, you were the only barn I could walk into and not say your this horse has ulcers this horse has ulcers and she's like all of your horses are miserable and I'm like I don't know you know and the team was upset 
I, I guess I have no idea, but things definitely had not been the same, like handing things over for, you know, people to help and trusting them to follow direction. I can tell you right now, worst thing you could do, biggest mistake I've ever made is to let my animals get exercised unsupervised, even to this day. Because if you say, don't do it, when you're not looking, they're going to do it. And when well, that happens, tells me a lot you about you. They're really going to tell you? They are not going to tell you. That tells like, me you're a leader in your barn. That tell, That's the only thing I see right now in my brain is you are the leader. Because if you didn't have any issues with your horses before, they you were you were the leader. And you were the person that they, like, a calmness in the barn and the herd leader is what I'm trying to get at. And then now right. when you were taken out and somebody else had to do that role, that explains to me kind of why things got upset. Oh, definitely. I mean, and, and and still, like, it's it's coming back together, but it is not it is not anywhere where it was. So I, I do look forward to at least the progress that I'm making there because that's where the most, that's still like the least efficient area because it's not my priority anymore. Um, But it did really change the dynamics with like my relationship in the home. Um, Mm -hmm. My kids, poor Jaden, bless her heart. She was playing, you know, daughter and sister and then mother too, because she was trying to help take care of me and she was, then helping take care of her her brother and Pedro just worked all the time, so he wasn't available. And whenever I had appointments, I had to find rides the entire time. And I had appointments just about every day, up to four a day. And I had probably seven different doctors. He did not show up to one single appointment, not one. Didn't take me, but he took me in for um, a CT scan one time. Um, so, in but in my mind, I'm still telling this has got me God's way of restoring my marriage. I really think it was God's way of saying you almost died and your husband's still not showing up. But the no, he does in work me. in mysterious ways, like that quote. And I and I'm at fault too. You are. I'm no different than you. I've done it before too. I'd be like, all right, you know what? God, show me one more time this person, and he'll show yeah. this person to me, and I'll go, no, no, that's not it. And then it's like he looks down at me and goes, you idiot. Let me show you again. Exactly. And like I literally knocked you out, and you still. <laughs> You still have not come to. And I literally, like, I had the rug ripped out from underneath me. I had nothing anymore, you know, like nothing to hold on to. I was, I sat on my couch or I laid in bed. Um, we didn't, we haven't had TV. Like, we, we've never been TV watchers. So, which is probably good because my eyes couldn't keep up with it anyway. But yeah. It did very much so turn the tables as far as, like, me and my daughter's relationship really changed. Um, Whereas she's had to grow up. She's been through way too much, way too much that no kid should go through. Um, But it also allowed her to become her own person because Mm -hmm. I was kind of removed, I guess. Yeah. So I remember, you know, my friends threw a big benefit that was, oh, my gosh, it was huge. 
and I remember so much I remember love. It. it was it blew my mind. But when my daughter came out of the mouth of the arena, I'll never forget this. Me, my sister, and my mom, and one of my friends from back home, Kendall, we were standing there watching. And Jaden comes out the mouth of the arena, and I mean, that kid is riding. And we're like, who is that? Like, because Jaden was always real timid and just kind of went through the motions and let Firsty pack her through and, you know, wasn't going to get out of back. the, the 3D, 3D. Yeah, no, and she, no. She just wasn't. And she went in there and she was going to win it. And and we were like, whoa, who is this kid? And she was a, com- I really feel like from that day forward, she's been a completely different kid. And we we're like, Jaden, what happened? And she's like, I wanted to win one of those buckles so bad. <laughs> and she, bless her heart, she almost did. But I'm like, you've never gone so fast before. And she decided that she wanted to be a barrel racer. And I was like, well, okay then. So then my focus just became, you know, pouring into her. And um, she took off because then I just took her on my old, you know, the horse I won the, the Patriot on. And he gave her a taste of, like, winning. And she's just, she's not even the same kid anymore. I mean, I watch her now and... I'm like, God, you would have never thought she was as talented as she is. And so I do think that my accident allowed her to step into who who she was called to be. And before it was always, you know, who she was, like kind of under mom's wing or she just kind of went through the motions because dad was always busy with work and mom was always busy with work. That the kids, instead of them being our priority, were they just kind of tagged along because mom was making a living and dad was making a living and she needed to stay out of the way. It sounded like she kind of grew into her her confidence. And to be honest with you, you know, it's probably going to help her in the long run getting a taste of what she's had to go through. It'll probably help her out in the long run at such an early age. 100%. And I think, you know, like I – so many times I'm like, good gosh, I wouldn't wish what I went through on anyone. However, today I can say I'm so thankful for the things that have happened because had they not happened, Jaden, where would she be or who would she be? Or would she still be that, oh, I'm going to run barrels every once in a while. I'm going to keep to myself and just stay out of the way. Because I, I think that that's kind of what she adapted, like how she adapted. Was, like she just flew under the radar and stayed out of the way. And which which hindsight besides the point, but it, it we kind of squashed her, you know. Yeah. Whereas me being, me having to be, set, you know, setting myself back has allowed her to be who God created her to be and, and it and who she is today might not be who she is tomorrow or ten years from now, but it is who she is now. And for that I'm thankful and I would go through it again just to see her grow. Uh let's see, about a month after my accident, me and my stepdaughter had a falling out and I could not tell you. It's been two and a half years and I couldn't tell you what it was about. I didn't understand what was going on. Um, 
and we are we we do communicate just about every day today but she was always almost this sounds terrible to say like a wedge between me and Pedro because I think she felt threatened by me and anytime she could create conflict dad was never a disciplinarian and he wouldn't ever like vouch for me or stand up for me for any any reason whatsoever so when she would pull some of the stunts she would pull it would separate me and him because he was always going to side with his daughter right or he was just going to avoid it altogether well i came from a very strict disciplined family and then i have a degree in communication so none of this ever sat well with me but I knew in at the end of April, it was April 24th of 21, me and her had a falling out. And I begged him, I'm like, will you read these messages? Will you talk to us? Like, what happened? And he told me, he said, I don't need to read the messages. I know the way you treat people. And I was like, what? Like, are you, like, are you kidding me? I do have a hot temper. I do. That's a very, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I understand what, that's a very frustrating feeling. And I know it from experience when somebody tells you you're something that you know for a fact you're not. And it's very I'm frustrating because the first thing you want to do is you, you want to prove yourself. Like, what are you talking about? That's not, you know, but sometimes people are so committed to their perception that supports their view you know do you see what I'm saying they're so committed yeah. to their own perception that supports whatever narrative they have that you could literally be talking to the wall and it's just not going to do anything right it's frustrating though so I understand that, how you that feel. was very that was so painful because one I thought here we are we're doing good like we're we're actually you know, he would pick me up and take me to Jaden's volleyball game or he would pick me up and we would we would go eat dinner. And But we did more as a family a month after my accident or that first month of our accident than we had ever done before. So in my mind, things are good. And then her and her and I get crossways and I still have all the text messages to this day. And I have not figured it out. And we haven't sat down and talked about it either. Um, but he, it, again, a wedge, and that's when I knew, like, we're not going to make it. Of my relationship with my kids, and I tell people, I do, um, I, if I could do things over again, I wouldn't be as invested as I was in the horses previously, because I do feel like I missed out on things with my kids, because it was about my career and being successful, and not even so much me being successful as me helping create other people's success in the industry, you know, matching them with horses and stuff like that. But I was such a pleaser that I would please anybody, but I wasn't taking care of the priority, which would be, you know, my husband and my kids. Um, it's hard I, to pour I, from an empty cup. <laughs> it, it, it definitely is. And, and when I, when I say that, I mean, that's that's a perfect picture, but I could also tell you that I gave absolutely everything I had to that man, and it was never enough. So yeah. at that point, it didn't. It wasn't about pouring into his cup. It was, you know, I was missing out pouring into 
my kids kept. I never watched, I never missed him show. Um, I would leave eight horses saddled on the walker and haul butt into Fort Worth to watch him show at the Futurity. I would have live cast, live webcast on my phone going in case I walked in late. I never missed him show. It didn't matter what state he was in. I never missed him show. And um, on the other hand, you know, I can run in the slot race. He wasn't going to be there, and he wasn't going to watch the live feed. I could run and win the Patriot 30 minutes from the house, and he wasn't there, and he wasn't watching live feed. I could, you know, win rodeo. See, I don't understand. I just don't understand that type of hatred in your heart. I mean, you know, I can, like, especially when kids are involved. Now, if you just have two people that are together and they break up, okay, well, then they break up and they go about their separate ways. But when you have a family involved, you have kids involved. I remember watching this TikTok where this dude posted this thing. I mean, I don't know if it was true or not, but he posted this thing where he bought his ex-wife some flowers because she had surgery. And it wasn't because of feelings for her. It wasn't be, And his current wife was okay with it. He did it because it was the mother of his child. And he needed the mother of his child to feel good about herself to be the mother of his child. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, why can't everybody wrap their head around this, that it would go much better if you took some certain emotions out of it? You know, if your ex-husband took this hatred out of his heart or whatever he's got going on to make it better, at least for you being the mom. Right. I just don't understand this that concept. You know what I mean? Well, I didn't ever feel like, you know, he hated me. I just knew that I didn't have his support and his encouragement. You know, if if right. my cult working good, well, I wanted to share that with him and that you couldn't get him to watch a video. You know, it was, I, he's, he's a perfectionist. What he's not is a perfectionist working to serve his family as in, as in his family within the four walls of his home. Oh, okay. So he says, well, I'm doing all this for my family. You're doing all this for your parents, but you're not married to your parents anymore. Like, right. you need to focus on what's within the four walls of our home. He is starting to do more, um, yeah. but it's new. And I, I watch the kids um, talk about it. The girls talk about it and vent to each other and shed tears and, you know, be bitter or, you know, whatever's on their heart that day. And it, it hurts so bad. And, but I can't, I, I told Jaden one day, I said, Jaden, I tried so hard. It's not that your dad doesn't love you. He just doesn't know how to show love the way you need to be shown love. But I, I tried to make your dad happy. I tried to do all these things. And she said, I know, Mom, but I thought that being his daughter, it would be different. It's hard for me to say he's not a good person or he's got a bitter heart or it's hard to speak anything negative because I'll always love him. Right. But I, I don't, I can't defend him anymore. Right. Um, which I well, and acceptance is probably a big deal, too, because I know, I mean, I'll be 40 this year, and it's taken me this long to understand what, and you just said something a little bit about it. The way people love is different, and it doesn't necessarily mean that they are a bad person, or even like what I said, I think about what I said, you know, it might not necessarily mean hatred. 
some people show love in different ways. Because playing devil's advocate here, I can understand the whole working all the time thing because I do it all the time. And me, my way of showing love can be different than other people showing way of love. But like what you just said, it's hard to accept that when you're younger or maybe not quite there yet to kind of differentiate the way different people show love. He's a very, um, you know, they didn't, he, he's from Mexico. They didn't, they didn't have anything. And so what, the way things are today are definitely different than they were a year ago and definitely different than they were two years ago and five years ago. And he is growing very slowly, but it's been a very painful growth. You know, the big picture is I lived that life for so long. It, I'm not surprised. It's still frustrating, though. I can understand the frustration. And you're not the only one that that made stupid decisions like that. I was with a guy once, and I left things I probably should have taken and sold so I could have the money. But it's hindsight. You know, you're like, what was I thinking? I could have sold that. (laughs) Yes, yes. But, you know, you live and learn. And um, it's it's, like I took care of his family. Right. Like his family, they they have they have a place to live because of me. Essentially, like me, they're not thankful. They have, they they treated me like crap for the past two and a half three years. Did it, it? It definitely wasn't good for me. Um, but again, yeah, no, you deserve like, I better had than that. Nothing when I met him, and so having to start all over is it's. I'll be fine. It was just very ignorant. I definitely wouldn't recommend doing that to anybody else either. Well, I mean, you know, you still be so hard on yourself about it because, I mean, you know, it's like who – it ain't like you meet somebody and you build a life with them and you go through all this kind of stuff and all of, like, the details, I mean, all of the details, messages in the house, all that kind of stuff. You know, who's to say that you're just, you know – can't get a red flag or a pre-warning on how somebody's going to be five years down the road, ten years down the road. Nobody's going to know that. There's no way for you to know that that stuff is going to happen. So you do the best you can in the situation that you're presented in. I mean, you know, that's all you can do as a human being. It's all anybody yes. can do. I know. And, and, and everything that we agreed to in the divorce, it was, you know, I'm two miles from him. He picked out the lot that um, that we built this house on. And it was like, well, we're close by, you know, whenever you're busy and you don't have time and you're not home, you can have the kids and vice versa. And we were going to swap days and make everything, you know, a perfect co-parenting relationship. No, it was all a lie. It was all just to get what he wanted out of the divorce because he has not stuck true to one thing that he said. It's been miserable. You don't, there's no trading. I went to Florida for six weeks of treatment in March. Um, I left at the end of February and I got home in April. I went to it's a place called the Sanctuary Clinic. And um, it's for, geez, people in all walks of life. It's like this big Victorian home out on this acreage. And there's a whole, um, everybody lives on site. Um, the doctors, the owners, the counselors, everyone lives on site. And the whole the whole middle floor of the home was uh, counseling offices, 
and I went through six weeks of brain mapping and the mm-hmm. EMDR trauma treatment. Best thing I had ever done. I wish I would have done it two years ago. Um, well, because they have to re, they basically have to rewrite your brain. Like, the, I mean, like, so I've been doing that since my accident. I got into Austin Center for Developing Minds in April after my accident. My, my accident was in March. By the grace of God, I got in in April, and they actually had me standing on my own um, by the end of my my very first week there. That's it was awesome. 350 or $400 an hour. And I went for a week of intensives. Um, I mean, I was spending $7,500 a week easy without lodging um, anytime I went to Austin. And I had gone consistently, you know, throughout the past couple of years before I went to Austin. I mean, before I went to the sanctuary, because again, I got myself where I was in really bad shape. I was crying every day. I couldn't tell you why I was crying. Like my, my brain has changed so much. Um, I went in and they're like, oh my God, you know, they did brain scans and they're like different parts of my brain were in just not where they needed to be. And what they, they do so much, like they'll do a brain scan and they'll be able to tell you what parts of your brain are overactive, what parts of your brain are underactive or not working. And then they will quiet down the overactive and try to stimulate the underactive. Um, what they do there is magic. Like it's, it's magic. I, I just mapping my progress and, and what, and looking all of my brain scans throughout the time that from the beginning of the week till the end of the week was incredible. Um, and they got me very, very, very far. And it was one of those deals where, what are your goals? Okay. You want to run barrels again? We need to work on your vestibular system because I would like turn a barrel and it was lights out, literally lights out. I could see that's scary. It was terrifying. Um, Yeah, that's very scary. I don't care how long you've been riding a horse. (laughs) It was, it is. And, um, I've been to eye doctors that specialize with, um, traumatic brain injuries because I went and I ran at, uh, the pink buckle or the ruby, one of the buckles. And I'm running to the first barrel and I remember hollering, Oh shit, where did it go? And I could no longer see the barrel anymore. So the brain connection between my eyes and my brain is not things coming to me. Things moving away from me, um, it doesn't, like, latch hold of, it will shut on and off, basically. So, in every aspect, my life has changed. and I've had to relearn a lot of things. But um, when I, before I went to the sanctuary, the Austin place is like, come in here. And by this point, it's $515 an hour. And they said, let's get you lined out before we send you to the sanctuary. Because I I showed them the place. It was the only place in Florida that would allow any of my medical equipment. I have a Fisher Wallace. I have a a crazy expensive um, laser that's got a million different settings on it. Um, I have a TENS unit. I have all of this stuff that I am supposed to use on my brain every day. None of these facilities would allow me to use it. And a lot of them were like mental, like mental health facilities. Um, some of them were hospital settings, which I was like, oh, I would try, I would say I would try to go to the Bayside or 
this one mental health facility and they're like, well, we can't let you bring, you can't take these medications and you can't bring your equipment. You need to go to like a hospital type setting. And I'm like, I'm not crazy. I don't need to go to a hospital setting. Like I need, I need something extra and I need you to allow me to continue to work on my brain and I don't need to be housed with a bunch of, you know, off the wall, suicidal, whatever people like I'm, it, it's almost like, well, we don't deal with people with TBIs, but if you, you're not dealing with a brain dead person, like I'm, I'm fully functioning now. You know what I mean? Right. So I found this sanctuary clinic. It was my least, it was my, my lowest choice. It was the cheapest, but it was Christian based. They would allow me to bring all my equipment. And it was one of the only facilities that did EMDR and brain mapping. So when I was talking to the Austin Center about it, they're like, you go to the sanctuary and you get as much brain mapping and EMDR as you can. And where I could get 10 sessions for 500, 10 sessions at Austin are going to cost me, you know, 5000 So... Austin got me set up and quieted my brain down and got me lined out to where I was, like, stable. And then I went to um, Florida. And the, the whole point of me even bringing that up is because um, we were talking about me and Pedro, our relationship dynamics, and it was, you know, you need to go to Florida. You're not going to have the kids. All Whenever you get back, we'll get you, you know, you'll get your time back with the kids. Well, that was in February, March, April, and it is October. And I still have not got my time back with my kids, and I lost three full weeks. People don't, like, when so when you have a brain injury, depending on what part of your brain is the most damaged, it's very interesting now, I find it interesting at least, to study the brain and what parts of the brain control what activities and what emotions and all of those sorts of things, and <clears throat> to see how out of whack your brain can be that affects your day-to-day routine. So if you go to your mainstream doctor, they're just going to give you medication to try to cover things up and suppress things and get you by. And then you go to a non-mainstream doctor that studies the brain and is all about remapping it and fixing it, and they're going to tell you to get off of all of your medications, take X, Y, and Z vitamins, use X, Y, and Z techniques, and they're going to remap your brain and get things working again more properly, all naturally. What do you think was probably the biggest holistic or biggest thing that helped get you through it? Was it prayer? Was it people? Was it barrel racing? What was the biggest thing that you think helped you besides all of the medical stuff? Um, I would say um, that's hard. My kids? Yeah. Because whether uh, whether I wanted to be or I didn't want to be, I was still alive. So when you don't know what you're living for anymore because your goals have all been taken away, 
that you have these two amazing children. That that was really the driving force was if I'm stuck here, I'm going to do the best I can do for them and no one else. That's, that's pretty badass, I think, because, you know, there's um, some moms up there that don't care about being a mother. There's some moms out there that don't make that sacrifice. You, but I wouldn't be where I am if I if I didn't have my kids because my, my goals have been more so to serve them and get them help them reach their dreams and it wasn't it wasn't about my dreams anymore right. and um, I the greatest gift I've ever been given has been my kids and even Jaden you know I've always referred to Jaden as my lifeline because when Pedro and I were you know separated when she was just a couple of years old like she kept literally kept me alive like I clung to her and she was my motivation to keep putting one foot in front of the other because I've ha I have a history of, of depression and a long history of that and I'm healthier now than I that I've ever been. Um, I, I could not, because of this whole 50-50 relation, you know, this whole 50-50 custody, custody deal, I definitely have to say that my friends have kept me alive, literally, because <laughs> I would just cocoon up and hole up and hide and not come out and I not answer my phone. And they would just open the door and peek in and leave coffee or, you know, make sure, like, you don't have to talk to me. I'm just going to make sure you're still breathing. You know, um, that's, they, pretty, and that's their, pretty awesome that you have that. Prayer. Not a lot of people have that. No, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, so many people can look at my life and be like, oh, my God, she was on top of, like, the height of her career. She was just, you know what I mean? And to have all that ripped away, how heartbreaking. And I think, you know, like, yes, all of that's true. However, the biggest gift God has given me has been my family and my friends. You you just weren't going to see me or hear from me, and um, I lived I lived in a shipping container on Courtney's property, um, which is the barn in the arena and where all of my horses are and stuff like that. I lived in a shipping container because um, I wasn't going to live on our property. For me and my kids stayed. We had a bunk bed for um, good gosh over a year. Um. And that's where I would hide. That was my hiding place. Those things so are my pretty friends, nice, actually. <laughs> you know, <laughs> with one person, I kind of miss it. Yeah. The um, But, I mean, things have changed. You know, I, I did start rodeoing again for a little while. My friend Deb made me enter some pro rodeos because she's like, you're going to do it whether you want to or not. And she would enter me without my permission. And um, <laughs> that's a good friend. She said, "I don't care about pissing you off. You are gonna get in here." She and do says, it. That's oh, a she good friend. She says about pissing me off. Hell no, she don't. She's like, "You're gonna do it. You can do it." <laughs> and I'm like, "I hate you, and I'm gonna sleep, and you're gonna drive, and things are great." But um, I've got um, I did. I was just out of placing it. Like every rodeo I entered, and I wasn't. You know, I was rodeo seasoning Peter, and um, 
but it's this doesn't feel the same. We took a fall in Louisiana last year, and I started getting headaches again. So I haven't have not run since then. Um, I do still well, that enjoy riding. That might have had some flashbacks when that happened. Yeah, did you experience was, any? You know the yeah, well, I experienced headaches. Um, yeah. But it was literally like my goal in life is just don't hit my head. Um, one time right. I took Jaden to Waco, and I parked almost in the same spot I was parked in the last time whenever I got hurt, which was already traumatizing enough for my kid. And I'm walking, and I walked into the awning of the trailer, which is a very, very, very light aluminum or something, and it knocked me out. Like, it literally, it was lights out, and I was laying on my back, and I had no clue what happened. And Jaden, it was right before Jaden ran, and she, here she is, she thinks I'm dead, um, but I cannot hit my head. Because if I hit my head, I could be a vegetable for the rest of my life. And that is the reality of it. Right. So whenever me and Peter fell in Louisiana, all I could do was think, like, don't hit your head, don't hit your head, don't hit your head, which I did not hit my head. But even the jarring or the motion of your brain, you know, you know, if you're a kid and you want to rock out in the car to some heavy metal and you're, like, head banging, for, you know, for example... I can't do anything like that, not that I ever did because I've, you know, never been into that kind of thing, but I can't do things like that because the concussion that your brain takes in doing that, it's, my brain is too sensitive, like it's too damaged for that type of thing. So just my brain sloshing around upstairs shakes things up and I started getting bad headaches again, which for people that have headaches and they or have hit their head or anything like that and they can't get rid of headaches, I learned about um, a NUCA clinic and they study it's um, a, it's a chiropractor, but whatever the quote unquote NUCA is, it's these little bitty tiny adjustments in the atlas. So your mm-hmm. atlas can be just slightly tipped and it will cause terrible headaches. So I had a lot of those treatments, and those helped a lot, too. Uh, so would you say you're a big helmet advocate now? No. Um, or were you before? I, I, Okay. If you put a cap on me, I cannot walk in a straight line. And I've, I've, never, I've never been able to function fully with anything on my head. So I should wear a helmet, but I can't see. And I can't, I, I can't walk in a straight line. Yes, it is, but it's the same thing as like a ball cap or a cowboy hat. So I struggle. I struggled with that before my accident. Yeah. Um. So I, I don't wear a helmet, and I've caught all kinds of crap um, over that. And at this point, honestly, and it might be ignorant, if God's gonna take me, He's gonna take me. And he has clearly shown he's not ready for me yet. So I'm going to be here, and I'm going to serve, and I'm going to do whatever I can to shed light on whatever because he left me here for a reason. Um, I mean, well, it's a double-edged sword. You know, like you sit here, you know, people, people, probably people are like, oh, you should wear a helmet, wear a helmet, blah, 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 blah. Okay, when you put a helmet on and then you still have, issues to deal with when you put the helmet on I mean 
to catch 22, like, straight into an awning. Um, but as soon as I've changed, and like when I ride, um, it does not feel the same. When I walk, it does not, walking does not feel the same. Turning my head does not feel the same. Um, my, my thought processes and my, my ability to process information is not the same. Um, it's life-altering. Really, it, it has definitely been life-altering, but you can either quit or yep. you can figure out to maneuver through it. And so many people's lives would be changed if they took on, you know, a different, um, running up, if they took on a different attitude when it came to, you know. Well, it's just I, like no, raising a kid and filling your kid full of, you're never going to be good enough. You're, you know, that defeating, deteriorating mentality that we, we speak over ourselves or other people or, you know what I mean? Oh, no, so I know exactly what you mean. Up, and they think, well, mom and dad always told me, you know, I wasn't perfect enough or I wasn't X, Y, or Z, and they li- they continue to live their life that way. So. The, mi- the mind game is probably 75% of most everything. I mean, you know, outside of the physical aspect of it, the mind game, you hit the nail on the head because, you know, if you get told something over and over and over for X, you know, an extended period of time, you actually just start questioning yourself. Well, maybe I am that. Maybe, maybe I am that. Maybe this is this. And, you know, that's just like abusive relationships. Some people don't understand why it takes women so, or people so long to get out of them. Well, because when you get told this, this negative thing for so long, it gets stuck in your brain. Right. And to be able to keep that out, like you just said, to keep out that negativity, the whole you can't walk, you can't do this, you won't do that, keeping that out is, that's, you're 50% there just being able to do that. Well, you know, you, your, your kids, you know, growing up, it's, well, I'm, um, you know, Jay don't say I'm so stupid or, you know, she'll just say something goofy like that. And I'm like, no, Jaden, we like, we just don't, we're not allowed to say things like that. We're not allowed to say, I'm so stupid. I'm so dumb. I'm not good at this. I'm not, you know, where it's like, no, you are, you are not stupid. You are very bright. You, and you, so you, and, and, okay, so when I went to the sanctuary clinic, um, they're very big on that too. And it's basically, you know, six weeks of trauma treatment, full-time counseling, almost from when you wake up to when you go to bed at night. And all of the negative things that we feed ourselves, all these negative perceptions we have of ourselves and these things that we've embraced and, and called ours that are not true, every single thing, it's, well, what does God say? Like, you have the truth and you have what's not true. This is what you say about yourself, but what does God say about you? This is what you say you can't do, but what does God say you can do? And it is nonstop re-coaching your mind to you feed yourself negative and then you have to combat it with a positive. So that by the end of, by the time I left there, it's that much practice in refuting the shit and accepting all of the good was like mm-hmm. it became almost like a muscle memory. And yeah. before me going there, it was easy for me to do that with my kids. 
but I'm not going to do it for myself. Whereas whenever I went there, I was forced to do it for myself, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But you have to do it. You have to practice it. It really it is. is like you can't just wake up one day and be like, okay, well, I'm positive. I'm not going to listen to their negative. No, you have to practice it religiously every day for quite some time for it, like you said, to just get into your brain and you start believing the good parts and not the bad parts. Right. So I do, I do practice that with the kids because Blaze will, Blaze will down himself, Jaden will down herself. I can't imagine where they might have learned anything like that from. <laughs> All of this badness that I have put into my kids, I, um, I try to get them to take the negative and, and pour in the positive and hold each other accountable and do it for each other as well. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's a good thing. Yes, ma'am. Well, I don't want to keep you too much longer because I know you probably have to go work on something. You have to go do something. <laughs> and I have to get back to work. But um, I am so glad that you took the time to talk to me. Like, I, I just think it's cool. It's cool to hear everything that you've been through. Well, I'm sure I, I skipped around a million times and um No, not at all. I might not have made sense, but there has been so much change 